The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And let's start with a little holiday rock and roll today. It's my first ever Christmas song. Uh, Chris Jericho and the Christmas Helves. Uh, all the proceeds from this tune, Father Christmas, benefit the Juvenile Diabetes Research Fund. You can get it wherever you buy, download, and stream music, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify. Check it out and uh, give a little bit back. Go check it out right now. Father Christmas, Chris Jericho and the Christmas Helves. Let's hear it now. Some noise. 
Kinks, Father Christmas. You can get it wherever you buy and stream music, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify. Available everywhere. And remember, all proceeds go to a great cause, the JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Funding. So thank you for listening. And thank you for listening to the show today. I got the highway man, Cowboy James Storm. He spent almost 20 years at TNA. And he's going to tell us why he said no to both WWE and Impact a couple years ago and decided to do his own thing on the indie scene. He's actually wrestling in the NWA into the fire, the pay-per-view this Saturday. He's uh, he's challenging for the NWA Heavyweight Championship versus Nick Aldis, December 14th in Atlanta, Georgia. The live event is sold out, so you'll have to catch it on Fight TV. Uh, go check that out now. Uh, but on top of that, James is also talking about his Django Django videos, his character that he... Uh, plays on uh, Instagram <laughs> uh, where he got that idea from what it was like tagging with the late great Dusty Rhodes when Dusty was in TNA what inspired the America's most wanted tag team with Chris Harris how he and Bobby Roode became the uh, very successful beer money whether there ever be a reunion of that I know Bobby Roode has uh, mentioned it before all the great stuff he learned from Ric Flair which is actually how James and I finally met at Rick's 70th birthday party so let's shit it and get it boys <laughs> with James Storm right here the highway man is here on Talk is Jericho. So it's interesting, after being in this business for almost 30 years now, I've pretty much met everybody, but I had never met James Storm, who's with us right now, until about, I don't know, two months ago at Ric Flair's 70th birthday party. At least I think so. I don't recall us ever meeting up until then. Had we ever met? No, no, that was uh, that was actually the first time. And I actually don't remember too much of that night either. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, though. You, you get all the brothers together, this fine collection of dudes. Uh, everyone's having a good time. There's, I, I got a great video of you doing a Angus Young duck walk in the middle of the dance floor where everybody went wild. <laughs> I, I actually just remember, I think it was us, me, you, and uh, Jeff Hardy, the last ones to shut down. So, <laughs> as per usual, no, but it's, it was it was cool to, to get a chance to catch up to you and kind of following what you've been doing. You are always working, kind of uh, the last of the of the true independent uh, performers that you make your own schedule and do whatever you want whenever you want. It seems like every weekend you're going somewhere else, different place, different state, different country. Uh, it's kind of the way you, you've 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 formed your your career at this point. Yeah, you know, it's kind of one of those things. Uh, you know, there was some stuff happening at the end of the, the you know, Impact TNA stuff that just kind of, I just had to take a, you know, that stuff had to take a backseat to kind of my family life. Uh, you know, I was on the road so much and, you know, I really did get to spend time with my family and my daughter and my sons and stuff. And I just kind of just wanted to 
take time and just kind of watch them grow up and just kind of be around them as you know as they start you know finding themselves as well well yeah and, and that is something you, you realize that when you're when you're traveling every single week and it's, it's the it's the old adage that you know your kids grow up so fast and when you're on the road constantly that is totally the case and you don't even realize it sometimes yeah the, you know the good time uh, good thing about these days is you know you have you know facetime and all that stuff so you can you know you can call home and you can kind of see your kids and stuff you know it wasn't that way you know eight ten years ago or whatever but you know it's just one of those things where you know at the beginning of tna like i had to kind of prove myself uh, you know i thought you know it was me and aj and uh chris harris and christopher daniels and all these guys and you know we were out to kind of make a name for ourselves and prove our, prove ourselves and then you know 18 years in the tna i, I think i kind of you know I, I kind of just lost track of myself really and just became that guy that i didn't want to be that i said i would never be you know i was just you know, I had my certain friends and groups that I hung around with, but then everybody else, like, I really didn't care about, you know, us, you know, I don't, I can say it about myself, you know, I was kind of a dick, you know, right. uh, but you know, and I think everybody in their career kind of just goes through that point where like, you can't really pinpoint it, but you, you know, you're just, you're just a dick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, you know, the, the, the last little bit of, of 10, a, like, I just kind of felt like, I was just there, you know, like not really going through the motions, but I was just there, you know, it wasn't really doing anything with me. They were paying me a lot of money, but they wouldn't really do anything with me. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't until the last, the last contract that I had with impact and, you know, into the second year, I contacted their offices and just sent them an email saying, look, I, you know, I really don't think I want to renew my third year of my contract. I just kind of just want to go and, and do my own thing for a while. And, uh, and the last night, uh, actually up impact, uh, a lot of people, there's only two people in the world that knows this. Now a lot of people don't know it. Uh, right before I went out for my match, the last impact that I did, my little girl's mom had called me and she said that she had found a suicide note for my daughter. Hmm. And this is literally right before my music hits. So I'm on the phone with her and then I, I just heard him yelling at me and I'm, I'm uh, to go, go, go. And I'm sitting there talking to my daughter. I'm like, look. Like as soon as I get back from this match, I'm getting back on the phone and we're talking and all this. And, uh, and so I, I seen uh, Matt Mitchell, which was Keith Mitchell's son, uh, right before I was running out. I said, hey, whatever you do, do not shoot my face tight going down the ramp. Because I was, I was bawling. Like I was mm. crying, you know, like sure. get some news like that. You know, and I got I got out there and I, I did, you know, I did my, my job and I came back. And, and as soon as I did, I, I went and got right back on the phone. And I remember uh, Jimmy, the camera guy, he came up to me and he told me it was emotions after the match, the stuff that happened or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was on the phone with my daughter and I said, hey, man, please just don't record this or whatever. He's like, oh, he's like, and he can tell that I was serious. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and I, you know, I just talked to my daughter and it was right then I realized, you know, I just got to get my shit together and, you know, start putting what's important to me first. Hmm. So when you were ta- just a couple of things when you said that you were a dick, like what do you mean, just the way you treat other people, or, or professionally, or were you kind of falling no, for your own bullshit? Yeah, I, I think it was just really just falling for my own bullshit. You know, it really wasn't the way I treated other people. You know, like I said, everybody I worked with, like I consider a friend. I, I remember there'd be times at TNA where I would just do shit to try to get fired. You know, like hmm. I, I'd just be like a dick to the office or whatever. Because like, I, I think I, in my mind. Like if I got fired, it'd be a whole lot easier to tell myself than me quitting, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was just one of those things where you know the last four or five years, like I, I finally snapped out of it. You know, uh, I met my wife, and she just finally just straightened myself up, really. You know, you, you talk about TNA because uh, it, it was a very long run that you had there. 
through the ups and downs. And I think sometimes people forget just how big TNA was at a certain point with the cornerstones of AJ and Crystal Daniels, like you mentioned yourself when you did Beer Money, when you when you were with with Chris Harris. There was a lot of steam behind TNA at a certain point in time. How was that for you? Kind of be there for the ups and downs of it all. You know, it was it, it was fun to you know watch. You know, especially at the beginning when you know every year or every couple of months somebody would come out saying, "Well, TNA is not going to last that long." You know, it's not going to last this year, and blah blah blah. And uh, you know, and then when we finally got the Spike deal and we started doing stuff on Spike, and that's really when st- stuff started you know booming and, and, and taking shape because then we started traveling over to the UK where. Where to us, like we felt like we were actually bigger than the WWE over in the UK because the WWE was more on a pay channel, whereas we were on a free channel. Mm-hmm. So more people were actually watching us than the WWE in the UK. And we just, you know, we'd go to these big arenas for the first time. They'd be sold out stuff. And we just, we felt like rock stars, you know? So, so then was it because you feel that the, it always seemed like TNA had a great collection of like homegrown stars. Like that was the secret to do to, to, to make it as the company is to create, uh, you know, your, your own, your own attractions that weren't coming from anywhere else. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think that's what it was too, is people, people really didn't see us as much as, you know, you say the WWE guys, just because, uh, you know, we were on the, the weekly Wednesday night pay reviews. And then, you know, we started to spin on spikes here and there. Uh, and like you said, it was it was really the homegrown guys, it, and you know it was guys that were that were hungry, that kind of had a chip on the shoulder, that wanted to prove to the world, you know, when WWE didn't want us, you know, because there was a time when they could have signed AJ Styles and Daniels and all these different guys, but you know, for some reason, Rutten at the time they didn't, you know, and and all of us, I think, just had a chip on our shoulder and wanted to go out and show the world, like, hey, there's a reason, you know, that that we're the best of the best right now. Talk about the beginning of TNA. Like, when did you start wrestling? Was it to, was it around that time, or had you been working for a few years before that? Actually, I, I, my first match was November first, uh, nineteen ninety seven, against uh, Tony Falk. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of people that's been around know the name Tony Falk. You know, it's it's, it's pretty crazy how many people know Tony Falk. You know, and then uh, two years after I got into the business, uh, I started working for a guy named Bert Prentice in Nashville, who actually was running kind of a developmental deal with uh, the power plant down in Atlanta. Like they would send guys up to Burt and they, they would work their local town and stuff. And so I remember working Jen Drag and O'Hare and all these guys. And then they would actually, they started sending us to WCW uh, as part of R&B security. And, uh, and then we would, we would have matches on, you know, Thunder and Worldwide and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we'd, you got to work with, uh, you know, Chavo and, and all these guys, Three Town and Chronic. And, you know, it was just, it was, and, and going up there for the first time just kind of blows your mind, you know, because I was so used to really just calling stuff in the ring, you know. And then when I get up there, Chavo says all this stuff in the back. I'm like, wait a minute, I gotta remember all this shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I was, I was on the old school Southern style where, you know, you just called it in the ring and just went with it, you know. And, mm-hmm. And to remember all this stuff, and it was mind blowing at first, but you know it caught on, and then you know three or four years later is when uh, WCW sold out, and then uh, you know it was kind of just back to the Indies, and then Jeff Jarrett had called me, and he said, "Hey, uh, we're starting up a, we're gonna start up a new company, and uh, since you're local and in, in, in Tennessee, we want you to come out. You know, we need like a, a cowboy type character, and you know since you have a southern accent, you know you'd be perfect for it." I was like, "All right, well, whatever, just let's do it." Mm-hmm. 
And uh, and me and Chris Harris had a match. They were running, like, uh, working on their commentary and all this stuff. And then basically the match before the first pay-per-view, me and Chris Harris wrestled each other. And after that match, we both got signed. To TNA. And that's when they were still doing the, the weekly pay-per-view type of a thing, right? I, this was right before they started doing the pay-per-view. Like, uh, like we had this match, and then uh, two weeks later, they, we had the first pay-per-view in Huntsville, Alabama. And then after that interview is when we went, so we started going to the fairgrounds in Nashville. Gotcha. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk about your team uh, with, with Chris Harris, because that was the first time you had some real steam. Uh, you guys were called the Cowboys, right? Or what, what, was, what, what were you guys called? Uh, 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 America's Most Wanted. That's it's right. It's one of those things where, uh, like, we had actually been out they were just calling us Harrison Storm or whatever. And uh, we had went out in Nashville. And I remember we got in a little bit of trouble. And this cop actually just looked at us and said, hey, you guys keep this up. You're going to wind up on America's Most Wanted. And I saw I looked at Chris and said, hey, let's try to use that as a name. And and finally, like they they didn't want us to use it. But then finally, uh, Mike Snade, like started kind of just throwing it in there on, on the, the weekly pay-per-views. And then finally, they just, they, just, they just stuck. And they just kept calling us America's Most Wanted. Good chemistry between you guys? Yeah, yeah, I think it's just because we had worked with each other so long, you know, on the independence before that, you know, we had worked each, with each other, you know, four or five years before that, just on the independence and stuff. So we, we kind of had each other's timing and stuff down. When when you talk about TNA and like we were saying, when do you think it started to kind of, I mean, it, it was a shame when it kind of went down and went out of business. Thankfully, Impact has kind of picked up the pieces. But when you mentioned being on Spike TV, I mean, that was a huge uh, deal to be on that channel that, that 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 big with that much you know viewership. What do you think the the, the kind of the fall of of TNA was? You know, I, I don't know really the whole uh, business side. You know, I just hear stuff here there here and there. But it was one of those things where I heard where Spike wanted to buy into uh, TNA at the time, and Dixie didn't really want to. The sell any kind of portion of it or whatever, and then not too long after that um, is when I, you know, we were off Spike TV. <laughs> right, 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 right. So you figure that's when it started kind of going downhill then. Yeah, because you know you, you lose all those viewership on on Spike at the time, and then you know you go to a, a different channel, you know, like Destination America, where not a lot of people have that channel at all, you know, and they have to get a certain package on their cable system to get it, and then. And then you know, that's just to me. That was just kind of the start of the downfall. Hmm. Did, were a lot of people recognizing you, like when you were on Spike? Did you have that kind of a fan following? Yeah, I, it was like I said. Uh, you know, I kind of felt like a rock star, and just you know, going out and you know, it makes you feel good when you're out. You know, and and people just start recognizing you because really, it only takes one person to kind of recognize you to to come get a picture with you, and then people who don't even freaking know you like come up and get pictures with you just because this person was like hey i think he's famous let's get a picture with him <laughs> when you guys uh when when because the the america's most wanted and we'll talk about beer money as well was was quite popular what was when you when you were a heel did you have a lot of heat with all the different things that you were doing 
Yeah, uh, I, I thought I thought we were. Uh, I thought it was real good, you know, especially when we turned heel, and then you know we got uh, Gail on our team and all this stuff, and you know we we had lined with Jared for a little bit, but you know the the Americans Most Wanted team I thought fit it more as a heel group, and it was just one of those things where we were having fun as heels. You know, I had been babyface really like my entire career, and so for that change uh, to be heels as Americans Most Wanted was really refreshing. Talk about beer money, because with Bobby Roode being in the WWE now, obviously, and you you working around the world, um, that was a really popular, you know, successful act for you two guys. Yeah, and it was it was another one of those things where we really wasn't meant to be a tag team. Uh, we were just meant to be put together for a couple of shows, and that was it. Because uh, Dutch came, Dutch came up to us, and uh, he's like, look, we don't have nothing. I'm going to be honest. We don't have nothing for you and we don't have nothing for you. So we're just going to put you together uh, for a couple of weeks so we can figure something out. And they basically was just calling us rude, uh, rude and storm as well. And, uh, and then it just kind of just caught on. And, and I, I remember me and Bobby talking and Bobby was like, we got to come up with something so stupid that the fans will fool us. Like, and, and that's how we came up with like just a double suplex and we did very money after it. And then, after you know, after a couple months, then we noticed that the people started doing it with us. I was like, "Uh oh, we're about to turn baby." Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it wasn't too long after that when the office was like, "Look, okay, we're gonna keep you guys together, and now we're about to turn you into a baby face thing." How'd you come up with the name Beer Money? We, me and Bobby, was sitting at a bar, uh, the L House down in Orlando, and uh, and I was sitting there with him. It was me, him, Ey, and a couple other guys, and uh, Eric Young, and. Uh, and I just remember saying, man, I need some damn beer money or whatever. And Bobby just kind of looked at me. He was like, huh. And then we got to thinking, you know, since he was supposed to be built from Wall Street and then need like the beer drink or whatever, it was like, perfect. Let's see if we can use it. And they, and TNA, once again, didn't want to use that name because they were going to start coming out with toys and stuff for Walmart and all this stuff. So on our action figures, it doesn't say beer money. It says Rude and Storm on them. <laughs> <laughs> what, beer, beer money's too controversial? I know, right? I'm just like, what? Are you kidding me? It's Walmart. There's a lot of people that shop at Walmart and people who drink there. <laughs> With, uh, when you have an act like that, and, and once again, you know, Bobby was was in NXT for a while and all that sort of thing. Do you have? If you did, you ever think about trying to get that rolling again and take it to WWE um, when you guys were in Impact or even now? You know, we had talked about it, but like, I think so many people had just put it in our heads that. WWE would never use the name Beer Money just because you know I, I don't know why, but uh, and, and I was I was always one. There's a lot of other guys saying you know that you know if WWE did it right, like Beer Money could make you know WWE a lot of money just from merchandise sales. Like we we made TNA so much money just off our T-shirts and stuff. It was ridiculous. Well, because it's a cool name, right? I, I guess maybe with WWE and and beer is always synonymous with Stone Cold Steve Austin, but that was ten years ago. Now you could do, like you said, more with the beer money name now for sure. Yeah, and actually, uh, it wasn't too long. I was talking to Steve, and and he was telling me he goes, he goes, I'm so pissed at you guys. Like I wish I would have came up with the name Beer Money. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk more about what what you kind of been doing now with with all the the, the, the independent shows and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, where are you right now? I am in Halifax, Nova Scotia, right ah, now. Right. So I'm doing a, a three three show tour right now, and then I leave Sunday and fly to Chicago and do the Ring of Honor pay per view. So I'm staying busy, and so I didn't know I didn't really know how big uh, Nova Scotia was until, until we started driving all over. <laughs> Dude, you said you had a, a long travel day to get there. 
Yeah, like so. So Wednesday, I leave. I'm supposed to be leaving Nashville, and I get there within the 30 minute window when you're supposed to check in. Uh, I get there with 34 minutes left. So the lady, she's like, "Oh, you just barely made it." So I'm like, "Yeah, sweet, cool." So she checks my bags in, and then when she goes to check me in, it's under the 30 minute window, and so the gate agent has shut it off and gave my seat to someone else. So, oh wow. So my so I was like, "Well, what's that mean?" She goes, "Well, uh, we have to reschedule you to fly out tomorrow." And I was like, wait, no, like I have a show. Like I can't, you know, and I've never missed a show. And I was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not missing the show. And she goes, well, your bags are on its way. And I was just like, uh, so I looked on my app and I seen a, a flight on Southwest. And I was like, look, I was going to go buy this Southwest flight that goes to LaGuardia where my connection is supposed to be. I just get on the connection and then everything would be good. So I get on the Southwest and I have an, an hour with Southwest to, to get to my connection. So, so I fly out, uh, get to LaGuardia, and my gate is in a completely different terminal. And I think LaGuardia is the only airport in the world where you have to go outside the terminal to get to another terminal. Like you have to go outside the airport, get on a shuttle. And, of course, I get on this stupid shuttle, and it gets stuck in the traffic in, at LaGuardia. <laughs> so then I get to the gate, and I miss my connection by five minutes. I'm like, are you kidding me? So now I have to stay in. Uh, LaGuardia, I had to stay in New York overnight, and then I buy me a flight on Air Canada that, because they wouldn't get me to you know my show to like 8.30 at night, and it was a three-hour drive to the show. So I buy a flight on Air Canada that gets me to Toronto, and then flies me to Halifax, and then just today, uh, I just received my bags, because when I looked on the app flying out of LaGuardia, they said my bags were still there, and they didn't go through to Halifax because of customs or something. And so when I go to get on my Air Canada flight, I'm like, oh, I have enough time to go over to Delta to get my bags. So I go over to Delta and to get my bags to start checking in on Air Canada. And they don't open up till 7 a.m. The baggage service does. And my flight is at 630. I was like, <laughs> so, so lucky, lucky I did the old, you know, I never pack my gear when I'm going to shows or whatever. So I, I mean, you know, check my gear. So I had my gear with me. At least I was able to work in my gear. Yeah, you never, never check your bags. Never check your gear, kid. That's always the rule, right? I, yeah, that's that's what I learned, you know. Because if I did, it'd have been the old, oh, we're having a street fight tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but but see, people don't understand all the stuff that we go through sometimes to get to these shows and get to these towns. And like you said, something like LaGuardia, we actually have to go outside to make a connection. People don't re- think of that sort of thing. No, and it, it was one of those things. Like when me and my wife got together, she. Like she just, you know, she just thought I wrestled on TV and that was it. I'm like, no, like, I'm doing all these other shows, you know, because we was running house shows and all that at the time. You know, we was running three or four house shows a week. And and now, you know, it's funny because now doing independence, I'm actually wrestling more than I did the last two years of my TNA contract. <laughs> well, yeah, because TNA was running a few shows a month, but you're going out basically every weekend, right? Yeah, and, and and it's and it's it's good too because I've, you know, I I don't want to sound corny or whatever, but I kind of just found myself again and just my love for pro wrestling. You know, it's just going out and traveling with the guys and, and you know putting on a great show and, and heading to the next town the next day. Who organizes all your bookings? Do you do it all yourself, or do you have like a like a manager that helps you, or an agent, or anything like that? No, I actually do it all myself because you know. That way, nothing to me, nothing gets confused. Nothing. Uh, it's not the he says, she says stuff. It's like, look, this is this is what we agreed upon, and let's do it. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You use social media quite a lot to, to your advantage, which is smart because I think that's the best way to kind of promote yourself in this day and age and let people know what, what's going on and what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, and case in point, you know, with you know Cody and the Bucks and all that, like, if people want to see how to use social media, just look at those guys. You know, they they they, they got it down to a, a pinpoint. You know, mm-hmm. and like you said, nowadays it's like if we don't have TV exposure, really, that's the only kind of exposure that you can get yourself out with. You know, with the Instagram stories or Instagram or Twitter and all this stuff. And and so, like like you said, I try to take advantage of that as much as I can. And one of your big catchphrases: "Shit it and get it." <laughs> it was, that's what my grandpa always tells me he goes he goes boy don't 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 just sit there he goes you got shit and get it so <laughs> you got to put that on a t-shirt man <laughs> yeah i know i gotta hurry and put it on a t-shirt for somebody else though that's for sure it's, it's so, so when, when you when you go travel like do you care do you have to carry all your merch with you sort of thing or do you mail it out or how does that part of it work no, like, uh, like Billy Gunn always makes fun of me because, like, at shows, like, I basically get like a fleet market set up. Like, I, got, <laughs> I got pictures and hats and, you know, basically like every kind of merchandise I can come up with, you know, shot glasses and regular glasses, hats and blah, blah, blah. And so, like, usually like, on my Insta stories, I always tag Billy in them and just say, you know, setting up my fleet market, you know, just you, Billy. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I used to work at Smoky Mountain Wrestling uh, with, with the Rock and Roll Express, like in the Knoxville area. And those guys were the kings of that. They would have, like you said, all the shirts and all the pictures, but then they would go to a store, like a, a Walmart. They'd buy a sheet. They'd cut the sheet into 20 strips. They'd write R&R on it, and they'd be official Rock and Roll Express headbands. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still see so... I still see so many guys who go to like the dollar stores and buy like the little keychains that you can put the pictures in and stuff, mm-hmm. and, you know, sell those, sell those and stuff. So they still have the little four by six pictures and stuff. So, but see, that's yeah. the thing. Like when you, when you work, let's say you work in WWE or, or, you know, TNA at the time or whatever it may be, the merchandise is kind of all inclusive in your deal. When you're doing the independent scene, you're making, you know, a hundred percent of that merch, whatever you sell that night. So you could be making even more money in gimmicks than you could from your actual wrestling match. Yeah, I've, there's been a lot of nights where I've made, you know, and you get those crowds, you just love those crowds because sometimes you can get big crowds that don't buy anything, but then you get these smaller crowds that you're making, you know, ten dollars a head off of. That's just that's just buy everything that you got, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so and, and it just teaches you like how to hustle, really, you know, how to hustle people out of their money. <laughs> <laughs> have you thought? Um, actually, I was going to ask you one more thing about your social media. You you have a, a character that's on there quite a bit, a Django Django. What? Uh, how did that all come about? <laughs> it, it actually came. It, it's really like a, a southern wrestling fan, <laughs> you know? so, and uh, you know I don't want to stereotype, but you know you know how it is. But it's one of those things where me and one of my buddies, uh, Chase Stevens, was going to a show, and I went so many bets by going down the highway with guys, and I asked them how long do they think the white lines in the middle of the road is. 
uh, on a highway and every one of them say three or four feet. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I say, no, it's not. They're 10 feet long. Mm-hmm. They're like, what? No way. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay, well let's stop the car and, and lay down in the middle of the highway and we're going to find out. And so, uh, me and Chase was traveling to Kentucky and it was <laughs> late at night. And, uh, and so as he starts slowing down, you know, the lines are getting bigger and bigger, <laughs> you know, cause we're running 70, 80. So they look three or four feet, you know? And, uh, he's like, Oh God. So he has to get out and lay in the middle of the road. Well, while he's laying there, this car comes by and almost hits him. (laughs) Why why is laying in the road? So I'm like recording this. And then we get back, we get to the hotel and I'm usually one of those guys that guys hate rooming with because I wake up in the morning and I got the music blaring and I'm singing way off key. And they're just like, shut up, like go to the freak to bed. And, uh, and so I was like, I got up and, and I was sitting outside and I saw this fishing boat with like this, this guy in it, like from, you know, he was way deep south. And I was just like, man, I'm about to do a video and just act like that guy right there. Like what I would think he would act like. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's how it really all came about. Like I started, I just, I shot this one video like 10 times, just try to get the accent down right. And, you know, turn my hat sideways. Like he had it and all this stuff. And, and ever since then I've been doing it. And so many people have, have hit me up, you know, Carl Anderson and Ken Anderson and like all these guys are like, dude, like you have to do more videos of the Django to Django. <laughs> it's almost, you can make it your alter ego, like, uh, like Nick Foley <laughs> and, uh, and dude love. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's just, it, like I said, it's just fun doing it. And I did one in, uh, in the Delta sky room and, and when I was coming back from Scotland and, and people are looking at me in the sky room, like what the f- is wrong with this guy here? Because I was like, man, that darn old dang came out there. I didn't see him. I was fishing all the time. It's a good time. I tell you what, man. <laughs> what was it? Give, give, that, give me another example. That's great. <laughs> like, because I was like, the Django to Django is like James Storm's biggest number one band or whatever. Right. So it was like the Django to Django went to Scotland to find to watch James Storm wrestle and like he went hunting, he went fishing when I was there and, and he, uh, he talked a lot and it's monster. Uh-huh. And why? And, and he was like, I'll try to redo it real quick. He's like, man, he's like, I was out there fishing, man. And I, I snagged this monster, man. He came up rallying up and this damn game warden came over and he said, uh, he said, James Storm, you can't be catching that monster. I said, why not? He said, that thing's a national treasure. I said, national treasure. Shit, I'm going to be rich. And uh, he said, no, you got to let that thing go. And all of a sudden I looked down and that damn monster had done gotten off my, my fishing rod. And I looked at that game warden. I said, game warden, be gone. <laughs> <laughs> so you said that Carl uh, Anderson and Ken Anderson liked that one? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, they freaking loved it. Oh, so that- now, so now, so now like seriously, like I'm going to start selling this damn it's just baby powder, but it's like, I call it be gone dust where I hit somebody with it and they disappear. (laughs) (laughs) And so I shot a video with one of my sons and my wife is so mad because it was my son. So I grabbed like a handful, like a a shit ton of like baby powder in my hand. And he was like, daddy, 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 daddy. And I just threw it, hit him right in the face. And it just like, he had just gotten out of the bathtub. So it like stuck right to his face. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, he's like trying to spit it out. (laughs) Be gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like you said, like, w- when you're on the road, you have to do stuff to to have a good time and, and, and keep your uh, keep your mind uh, clean, right? 
Yeah, dude. I mean, we like you know we entertain ourselves. You know, if if we don't start entertaining ourselves, that's when we start getting in trouble. When you uh, go to these independent shows, do you kind of like just trust whoever it is the promoter wants you to wrestle, or do you kind of scout them out a bit, or 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 how do you yeah, kind of no, decide? It, yeah, you know, uh, I actually, you know, I, I go and I'll see if I can find any kind of like YouTube video on them or, or something like that because you know you never know what you're getting into when you do these independent shows. Uh, you know, the, the skill level, and I've I've learned that I've had to kind of you know, as I say, dummy it down a little bit because. I realized with like my timing is so used to being on, you know, a higher scale with, with guys who can go and stuff. And then when you come to independent shows, you know, their timing might not be as good. So, you, you know, you have to kind of slow it down just a little bit. Well, yeah. Cause you would, you'd be able to figure that right away. Cause the last thing you want to do is, cause I'm assuming when, 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 a, when a, a guy with your name value goes to a show, they're going to put you with kind of the best guy in the company. Right. Well, you would think that. <laughs> Sometimes you wonder, like, wait, is this the best guy you have to offer? But, uh, yeah, a, a lot of times, yeah, you know, they, they try to put me with the best guy that they have. Because, like I said, when you're going to, like, Halifax, Canada, uh, it would seem, you know, I don't even really know anybody that's from Halifax as far as enough to be a wrestling territory there. Yeah, uh, on, the, on this tour, I'm, I'm working a guy named Marcus Burt, who is, uh, who's really good. He actually looks like a smaller version of Triple H. Okay, uh, but uh, I mean, he's he's really good. He's one of the top guys, and I, I think you know sooner or later you'll start hearing more of the Marcus Burt name. Right on, man. Um, when you were talking about uh, being a heel, do you enjoy being a heel and, and getting that type of heat where people are attacking you or you have to fight people off that sort of a thing? Yeah, you know, it's it's easy for me to be babyface just because I have so much charisma. Like, I just, you know, I, I kind of know how to interact with people really good, you know, with crowds and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there's nothing, like, better than being a heel and just having people, you know, spit at you or throw stuff at you who, like, legit get pissed off at you. You know, it wasn't too long ago I was at a show in deep, <laughs> deep South Alabama, and this lady tried to hit me with a sock full of nickels. Mm -hmm. so, and so it was just one of those things where, you know, I was sitting there making fun of her because she didn't have any teeth. So I'm sitting there going, right, come on, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then like, she shoot, I had this bag of nickels in her purse and tried to hit me with it. <laughs> so it's always the old lady. It's like the old lady in the front row with the hat pin that tries to stab you with it. <laughs> right. And it's just, like I said, you know, it's, I don't know. And it's just so funny just watching you know some of these other guys who get so pissed off at you as well you know these you know 20 21 year olds you know they they like it's easy to piss them off have you ever been in a fight with a fan <laughs> oh yeah yeah i've like uh i've beat the shit out of <laughs> like uh there was one time we were i mean but it was basically where they jumped in the ring uh you know they were we were down in this place called dixon tennessee and i remember this this guy tries to get in the ring with this pool stick and it was me and this guy named Ashley Hudson and this other guy named Corey Williams. And he tries to get in. And, of course, fans really don't know how to get into a wrestling ring. Right. So, so they're, you know, they're coming in trying to stumble. And the guy just, like, as soon as he, like, goes down, he just drops the stick or whatever. As soon as he comes up, I just catch him with the right. And he just goes right out. So, and, and there, it's funny because there's one, there's, there was one incident on Impact where Jeff is in the ring and this fan is yelling at him. And me and Chris Harris are watching from like this little cat tower that was that was at the arena that, and uh and so jeff's like arguing with this fan that has a mask on it's on youtube somewhere and all of a sudden you see jeff's like come on and, and samoa joe's in the ring with him and i was like 
okay, I don't know if I was a fan if I don't want to jump in the ring with those guys. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Jones is going to eat your lunch. You <laughs> <know>? <laughs> and so, but, uh, and so Joe just kind of sits back in the corner, just watches the whole thing. And security lets this guy through because he has a wrestling mask on. So they think he's part of the show. <laughs> well, he jumps up on the ring apron to get in and Jeff's like trying to block him. And I was like, wait a minute, this is a shoot. And you just see me come out of nowhere and just grab this guy from the back. And I just start well-laying him. And you see, like, his white mask just turns red. Like, and he just goes down. <laughs> so, no, 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 no legal ramifications from that? <laughs> no, no, thank God. And, and, and so, and then me and Chris, we just went back to the catwalk and started drinking beer and watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> End of story, right? <laughs> yeah, end of story. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So let me ask you a question about um, about NXT because I heard that you had worked there for a bit, and it seemed yeah. like you might have been going there, and then obviously you didn't go there. So I was wondering, what was the story with that? You know, it was one of those things with the family deal as well. Like uh, I went down and uh, had the match and talked to Hunter and everything, and and then they wanted me to come back for the second match, and I, I went back and I was talking to him, and I, and I actually showed him like the contract the TNA offered me. Like I had it. I was like, look, this is you know, I was like. And he was talking about how they're going to be running between, you know, 125, 130 shows and all this. And I said, uh, I said, right now, I said, my wife was wanting to have another kid, but she had to do the shots and stuff in order for us to have the kid. And so basically where I had to be home, you know, when the, and have sex when the moon touches the sand and the fish, you know, whatever. <laughs> so me and him, and he's really cool. He sat there and talked to me about it and stuff. And he actually told me, he said, he said, look, he goes, I can't tell someone to pass up guaranteed money, especially when it's that amount, especially being in a business like this. He goes, but to me, he goes, I don't think you'll be here down in NXT that long. He goes, but you know, I, I I'm not the one that makes that call. He goes, uh, he goes, but I will tell you this. He goes, take the TNA deal get your life straight and then get yourself in the best shape you can in two years. Call me back. Hmm. So how, so how long ago was that? Uh, that was two and a half years ago. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like you own my call. <laughs> well, I've, I've tried. Yeah. I think you changed this number. I think you changed this number. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, like you said, I mean, you, you, you're keeping very busy doing all these things that you're doing. So what is your overall mindset and plan? Do you want to continue just making your own schedule and having that freedom? Or do you want to try and go work for a national company again? Yeah, no, I definitely, you know, uh, to me, I, th- I think uh, I've been doing the independence long enough and just, just kind of like fell back in love with wrestling. And now, you know, like I want to start working towards, you know, being back with a national promotion, you know, because I, t- to me, I, I think I still have a lot to offer. And, you know, I- I'm in the best shape that I've ever been in, in my career. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm smarter, too. So that kind of helps out. You know, well, it makes it big- as, dumb, Go ahead. as dumb and wild as I was. Well, that, and that makes a big difference too, because because wrestling is about being smart, not just in the ring, but out of it as well. Yeah, and and, and so many people don't understand that, and it, it just took me so long to kind of you know realize that you know because I was one of the guys that you know Mr. Perfect had a lot to 
uh, he helped me out, out a lot when I was, you know, when he was in TNA and he, he, he would always tell me, he goes, he goes, one day it's going to click for you and you're going to realize that the most important move is the move between moves. Hmm. And for so long I had, I was like, what the hell is this old man talking about? Like, you know, but I'm not going to say that to Mr. Perfect because he's going to put me in a pretzel, you know, but, right. uh, but, but it was just one of those things where it just finally clicked. I was just like, man, like I can just put this guy down with a punch. And if I do it correctly, all I do is just turn and look at the crowd and they'll pop or boo. You mm. know, like I don't have, I don't have to hit this guy with another big move. Like just me just reacting kind of to the crowd without going, Oh, you suck or whatever. You know, there's a, there's a way to do it, you know, properly. And it just finally just clicked where, you know, I, like it's just working smarter and, and saving your body really. Well, and that's the secret too. I mean, John about a guy like perfect. He, he, he taught me there's no such thing as rest holds. They're wear down holds. Never treat it as a rest. Always treat it. And even if you're in one, you should always be trying to fight and get out of it, move around because the rest hold is, 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 is just that it slows everything right down. And it's just kind of a, a break in the middle where you shouldn't have one. Right. Exactly. And I, I, I remember coming back from a match, you know, and like, there's nothing like when you're, you're feeling good after a match because you think everything went great. You know, we're walking back. It was triple X and uh, America's most wanted. I'm coming back. I'm like, yeah, man, it's a great match. All of a sudden I hear storm come the f here. I'm like, Oh God. Like I did not like the tone of that voice, so I walk over to him and he he says, "What what'd you do that for?" And I was trying to explain to him, and I was like, "You talking about like do that spot?" He goes, "No, I'm talking about why did you pick that guy up off the ground to go hmm. do the spot?" Right. And you know, and I, for a while I was like, "Wait, no, because we're gonna do the spot." He goes, "Never pick a guy up off the ground when his shoulders are down." He goes, "He goes, you're trying to tell everybody that." you know, that you don't want to win now. He goes, it's that guy's job to get his shoulders up off the ground and feet somewhere. And then you can do the spot, hmm. you know? And, and, and I was just like, huh? I was like, okay. So, so now I try to tell that to everybody. I'm like, if a guy's shoulders on the ground, keep pinning him until he feeds somewhere. And I tell everybody, I'm like, you watch Jeff Hardy. It takes like a semi truck to keep Jeff Hardy down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like, I mean, like you hit him, he's back up, you know, in a different corner somewhere. So. Yeah. yeah well, but, but that's the thing. It was cool for, for TNA. At the time, you mentioned perfect, Kurt Henning. There was a lot of those type of guys. Did you learn a lot from from all those cavalcade of legends that worked there? Yeah, like you know, and and, and Dusty. Like I, I got I got pretty tight with Dusty when he was there. We teamed up for you know a good six eight months there, and oh, wow. just just watch just watching him in the ring and just how he controlled a crowd just with his body movement, you know. And I remember there was a. a a spot in the match where he was going to take his boot off and throw it to me. And I was going to hit Lance Hoyt with it and then uh, cover him. And he, he told me, he goes, cowboy, he goes, if I fall down, taking my boot off, make sure everybody else falls down too. So it doesn't look like a blown spot. I was like, All right, Dusty. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool right there to so see you, you, you team with Dusty Rhodes for, for eight months. Tell us some, uh, yeah. tell us some Dusty stories. Yeah. I mean, it was just one of the things where, he told me, he's like, he's like, cowboy, if you're going to play a cowboy, you need to get you a cowboy hat. Because <laughs> like, I wasn't coming out with a cowboy hat at first. You know, they just had me playing a cowboy character. I didn't really know, you know. Right. And uh, it wasn't long when uh, Savage came in and Savage came up to me. He goes, uh, he goes, that's a nice cowboy hat you got there. Because, you know, he was wearing the cowboy hats too. He goes, he goes, if you want to stand out in this business, you got you to put some color on it. And I was like, huh. And so then after, you know, a couple of weeks after that is when I started getting this guy in L.A. to start painting stuff on my hats and stuff. Hmm. And I, I came back and, and, and he, he gave me his approval. He was like, all right, that looks good. I was like, sweet. Well, and then that's one thing Jimmy Hart always told me. It's like you, you got to have color. Everybody has black. You know, you have to have color. Which everybody. Out, you, right. 
you watch TV now, it seems like everybody is wearing black. And I, I told Steve Austin, I said, I blame you. I blame you for, for people cheering the hills. I blame you for everybody wearing black. <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth, though, right? I forgot that Savage was there in, in, in TNA. That's, what a Hogan and Bischoff. And Did you work with any of those guys? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I remember uh, we did, me and Hogan did a deal in, uh, in London. It was me, him, and Bully uh, on the same team. And I remember Hogan saying that he was going to do the big boot, but he wanted me to do the leg drop. Hmm. And I looked at him. I said, uh, with all due respect, I do it in a heartbeat because you want me to. I said, but I don't think it's going to get the same effect. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did it. I did. <laughs> yeah. Not exactly the same uh, uh, career <laughs> highlight as it would be. <laughs> but you mentioned, too, hanging out afterwards. I know I know the uh, Ale House in Orlando is always the place. Did those guys go out and, and have some drinks with you guys, too? Uh, they, they mostly stayed at the, you know, like the hotel bar and stuff like that because the hotel bar was good at kind of keeping fans out, you know, letting the guys have their, have their time, you know, it would be Hogan and Flair and stuff in there. And, you know, after that, we all go back to the hotel and sit out there and just kind of drink with them. And, and I remember Keith Mitchell, he'd always have a place called the Red River Saloon and it'd just be out back and it'd just be all the guys. You know, two o'clock in the morning, just sitting out there telling war stories about how cool we used to be and stuff. <laughs> Did you? Uh, is that how you became friends with Flair to end up at his birthday party? No, I, I think uh, I became. Yeah, when he came into TNA, you know, I was one of the, the first guys to kind of greet him and stuff. And I actually knew, uh, I actually knew Reed. Um, mm. So, and, and that's how I kind of knew Flair when he came in. Like I just, you know, I just kind of just talked to him again. He's like, "Oh yeah, cowboy, blah blah blah." And, you know, it's just one of those things where. You know, I, and it's cool because I just call, I text him or call him up and he'll answer. And, and you know, I, I went down when he was in the hospital, you know, about mm-hmm. the, this last time and drove down to Atlanta and stayed there with him overnight and helped him get up and start walking again and stuff. And it was just funny because he just had that robe on, you know, and, and like I'm trying to help him out of bed and like his junk just falls out. <laughs> and, and I said, I said, Rick, come on, man. He goes, he goes, it's okay. It's space mountain. I said, that's something that's out of control right now. <laughs> like it's, it's not, it's not working. And so like, I had to walk him around the hospital, like his butt hanging out. So, it was, <laughs> me, him, and Wendy was just walking around. So, it's a, like, that's just one of the, the good Flair stories I got. The rest of them, you know, they're, they're a little fool. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of me can't really tell on air, right? right? Rest of, yeah, rest of them, I get a lot of heat from them if I tell those. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. As we start to wind down here, I want to talk about some of your matches that you had in, in TNA because there were so many, you know, becoming the champion and that sort of thing. Who were some of your favorite opponents to work when you were there? You know, it was, it was funny because definitely uh, Chris Harris when we had a, we had a, a Texas Death match. And I think one of my favorite opponents was Kurt and also Bobby, you know, when me and Bobby started having our feud against each other. Just because, like, we just kind of had the same mindset. And I think Bobby just kind of made the perfect heel at the time against me as well. And it was just one of those things, like I said, we just had chemistry. And, and we really didn't even have to really call stuff. We just act and react off each other's body movements. Mm-hmm. And who did you win the world title from? 
uh, Kurt. So oh, wow. it, it was it was just one of those things where, you know, the night before Kurt told me he goes he goes I want you to put this match together blah blah blah. So it made me feel good that he just believed in me enough to put the whole match together. And and, and so when I get there, I tell him this whole thing, and then come to find out he he had a uh, torn hamstring. And I was like, oh my god. He's like, yeah, I can't. And if you watch the match, like he has it wrapped up and stuff, and he can't really go. He's like, look. He goes, I know that you know we were supposed to do 15 minutes. He goes, but he goes, it's going to mean more if you go out there and you beat me uh, in 30 seconds. Hmm. And it did. Like, and it was, and it always makes me feel good because that was actually the highest rated show in Impact history. It was the night that I won the world title. Really? So yeah. So that's when we went over the million uh, viewer mark and everything. And uh, like, if you go back and you watch that, like that place just went absolutely ape shit. Like, it, and, it, and it was just good. And it was just that moment where. You know, uh, you know, people say, oh, it's a world title, blah, 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 wrestling title, whatever. But, you know, for a lot of the workers, like, it kind of means something. It's like, like the company is kind of like, here, you know, you deserve this, you earn this, you know, master time and whatever. And it was just one of those things where, you know, as soon as it would just had Kurt just beat me down in the corner, as soon as it turned around, I just super kicked and then pinned him one, two, three. And, uh, and when I was pinning him, he, he goes, uh, and he, he just looked at me, he goes, thanks, buddy. I said, no, thank you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of the equivalent of like winning an Oscar because it shows that you are, you know, you're worth worth it to the company to be the, the face of the company, which you were the face of the company. Yeah. And, and, and people were like, oh, well, your title, your title reign was short, blah, blah, blah. Like to me, like baby faces don't, shouldn't be holding on to a belt that long anyways. Like it's always, to me, it's always good to watch the chase than it is to see the baby face run around with the belt. Mm-hmm. So you, you only had it for a short time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple hours? <laughs> <laughs> a couple couple blinks, and that was it. <laughs> I had the world title for a commercial break once. <laughs> <laughs> it's not shorter than that. Hey, well, well, I mean, you, yeah, you beat me then. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, What do you think happened with, with, with Chris Harris in WWE? Because he came and went so fast. Well, like I said, you know, I, I'm not 100%, but I just heard that he just kind of just came there with an attitude, you know. Mm. And I heard that one time, I guess they asked him to get in the ring with uh, Fit and kind of just roll around and, and do stuff, whatever. And he refused to. And, uh, and I heard it was from there, it was just downhill. But it was one of those things where right before he went, like we got word that WWE was interested in both of us as a tag team. Mm. But I had another year left on my contract. And, uh, and I told Chris, I said, Hey, I said, I said, resign with TNA for another year. I said, then after that, we can go together. And it was just one of those things I think where he just, he thought that he had to go then. And so, you know, he went by himself and, you know, the rest is history. Hmm. How about the, uh, the beer drinking championship? (laughs) the tna world beer drinking championship that was that was like one of those things where you know you're backstage and you say something and then one of the writers or something hears it and they're like oh let's just try this sounds so stupid that it might work or whatever and it was something where a fan had had given me a john cena spinner belt and so like it was like you know the the foam belt had the spinner so i had i had uh, props like drill a beer bottle on the front of it or whatever and and so we're just walking around backstage, me and Eric Young and stuff, like, oh, we're going to wrestle for the beer cha- and, and beer drinking championship. And then I think I think it was Dutch that heard it. He's like, oh, we're going to put that in the show or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so w- we would actually get paid just to show up and drink beer. Like there was one time we had a breathalyzer, and I had like a like a 
a, a 1.2 like uh, BCA. Like it was, it was, it was unreal. So I was like, okay, well this is this is fun, Ben. And there was one time when uh, it was me and Bobby Roode against uh, Eric Young and Orlando Jordan, and me and EY would always do a spot where he would slide out of the ring and run around and grab my beer and then chuck it down or whatever. I'd be like, don't you drink my beer. Don't you drink. And then he, he'd drink it or whatever. And we, we did that on TV and house shows and all this. And then uh, there was one, one match right, right toward the end where me and Bobby were backstage and, and I poured the beer out. And he goes, what are you doing? And I filled the bottle up with Jaeger. <laughs> and so, and so we're out there and, and here we go. We're running that spot. He gets out, runs around, grabs the beer. And I'm like, don't you drink my beer. He just grabs it. And he starts chugging it. And you just see his eyes. just like, what the hell? And then you see Jaeger going through his beer. He's like, oh, he's about to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, beer drinking, man. That's, that's uh, like you said, that you are the champion of it. And you also mentioned, too, <laughs> singing in your car. What kind of tunes do you like? I'm more of a, you know, people always think that I'm a country guy, but I'm not. I'm more of a, I'm more of like a, a worn white snake kind of mm. like '80s rock guy, you know, white line and all that stuff. Like I just, you know, stuff like that. Like I, you know, I like '80s rap and stuff. You know, mm. I don't, you know, it, I don't really like too much of the new stuff. You know, I, I like, uh, you know, with country, it's Johnny Cash and Chris Christopherson. You know, guys like that. Mm, gotcha. Are you a Tim McGraw guy? I guess I guess I have to be because I'm friends with him. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like my my mom, she works for him. Like she's worked for him for like the last you know 15 years or so. So. Oh, so you guys are buds? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Do you hang out with his place or anything like that? Well, uh, they moved now. I guess because I was coming over so much. But uh, <laughs> like their farm used to be about you know about five or ten miles down the road from my house. Oh wow! I'm sure it was a big place, right? Oh yeah, it was. It was like it's actually a historic place. Like uh, Hank Williams uh, used to live there in the house, and like all these other like famous country stars used to live in this house. And then they moved in, you know, remodeled it and all that, and built a studio. Man, so last couple of things. So, so just tell me, just what's your schedule for the next month? Like you said, you're in Halifax now. Just trying to get a, a sense of where where you go to. Is it across the entire country? Yeah, yeah, basically. So. So this month, like I said, I'm uh, I'm in Nova Scotia doing a three day tour. Then I fly to Chicago, uh, do the pay per view. Then I'm home for three days, and then uh, I drive down to Montgomery, Alabama, for a show. And then I fly to New York that Saturday for a show, and then I fly back home Sunday to go to church. And then basically kind of start my week over, you know, waking my kids up and sending them to school, and then head back out the next weekend after that. And then uh, then the weekend after that, I'm in Vegas. Well, you, so you say you're doing the Ring of Honor pay-per-view. Have you, are you working with them now as well? Yeah, it's just one of those things where, you know, they, they, they call me up and, you know, want to bring me in. And uh, I kind of think I would fit in good there as a heel because I, to me, like, especially at this point in my career, I'm one of those guys who would like to work with the younger guys because I, I can I can take and, and feed and, you know, catch all these guys doing these moves. But, you know, like I, I just I can't do all these flips anymore. So mm. but it's just one of those things where I can kind of teach these guys you know, maybe you don't put this flip here. Maybe you put it here at the end or something, you know. Did you used to do flips? You said you didn't do them anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually funny because uh, the early uh, part in TNA, like I was doing moonsault and, uh, you know, tilt the world head scissors and all this. <laughs> and and, and, uh, and I, I, it was actually Dusty who said, uh, he said, you, you tell me when the last time you saw a cowboy do a backflip. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he goes you got to stay true to your character i was like yes sir yes sir 
<laughs> I, I think a guy like you in Ring of Honor would be good because it's almost like having Bully Ray there, and you've got so many guys, and it's not all about flips, but there's guys that are much more aerial, you know, based and that sort of thing. But to have a guy like you that's more of a character performer might be something good for them at this point. Yeah, because you know, I always say like if you if you have too much of the same stuff on a show, then you know there's only so much of that you can watch. You know, you, you gotta you gotta kind of split it up. You know, like I said. You know, you, you want your, your your high high impact aerial maneuver guys on the show, but you also got to have the guys who are there to, with character and uh, story driven. You know. Uh, last few things. What are your favorite matches you ever had, or a couple favorite matches? I would definitely say my my favorite match that I've had would would probably be uh, the me and Bobby Roode match from uh, Bound for Glory, like 2012, down in Phoenix. That was one of the matches where the office just said, "Hey, you guys, just go out and do whatever you want." And so, you know, we just we just kind of went out there and we basically beat the hell out of each other. Cause I always tell people the closer friends you are with the guys, the more you beat each other up, which is right. weird. <laughs> and you, and you and Bobby, you hit me so hard. We're friends. <laughs> and you and Bobby are still close friends to this day. You know, I, would, I don't say we were like super close anyways, but I mean, it's still one of those things where I'm, I'm you know, we, we keep in touch and stuff. So, and it's, it's one of those things like people are like, Oh, you have to be mad that he's doing this. No, like, he's one of my friends like i'm happy for him you know mm -hmm. that's that's what he wanted to do this is what i wanted to do so do you think there'd ever be a beer money reunion you know it's one of those things in wrestling never say never uh i think if it's uh the right place and the right time it'll definitely happen you know like but like i said you know so many people said like especially with what he's doing now like you know it, it, when they did stuff with chad gable and stuff if they would have brought me in like that would have been the perfect time put us back together you know Oh, I see to kind of have break up with, with him and because because of you and you do the reunion there or something like that. Yeah, and Bobby would be like, Look, you you're not the partner that I wanted, you know? Mm -hmm. And and I, I I actually remember Flair just saying not too long ago, like he wanted to try to pitch an uh, idea to Vince where he was actually being Bobby's manager and then uh and then somehow get Charlotte involved in the storyline and kind of be like a new fortune kind of deal. And Fortune was the was the group that you had in, in uh, TNA. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Well, it's very cool, man. It's cool to get a chance to talk to you. And uh, and like you said, man, you've been doing the, the, the independent thing. It's time for you to get back on a national scale very soon. So I'm sure it's going to happen, whether it's WWE or NXT or AEW or, or even Impact. Um, I guess just a matter of, of getting uh, getting in their faces again. Yeah, that's what it is. This, you know, I, I can't control uh, what I can't control. You know, I can only do what I'm able to do. And, and that's, you know, staying in the gym, staying ready. And that way, when the opportunity comes, it, you know, I'm, you know, as Jim Ross said, you, you know, companies don't want to wait on you to get in shape. They want you to be in ready mode when they call you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Is there any guys on the independent scene that stand out to you that you think are going to be future stars? You know, there's a, there's definitely a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys that I uh, work with over in uh, at ICW over in Scotland. Mm. And like their, their talent roster is just, just insane. Some of the guys that they, they have over there, it, you know, and I, I know a lot of, a lot of the guys AEW has, you know, started picking up and stuff. So, and I think especially with the UK, like it's starting to, I think people are really starting to take notice of the talent that's over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause they draw a lot of people over there too, for those shows. Uh, they're, and it's good because like, they're kind of an old school crowd too. Like, you know, they still cheer the baby faces and boo the pills and, and they're drunk as hell while they're doing it. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, the drunker they get, the better you are. Exactly. The more merch I can sell, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get one last uh, message from Django before we split. 
Hey, man, I tell you what, man, next time you do it, you got to have me on this show. I come out here all the time, and I kick somebody's ass on James Thorne. He's a pretty good boy, but I tell you what, you ain't seen no muscles like this. I look at him and say, hey, you want to shit and get it? Won't you come get it? Does this look like a weakling to you? I don't think so. I'll whoop your ass, boy. How big a boy are you? You better pack a lunch. <laughs> you sound like half the people in Halifax, the Newfoundlanders. <laughs> all right, brother. Good talking to you, man. Have a great show tonight, and uh, be safe. We'll see you. We'll see you around on the road. Yeah, thank you so much, brother. All right, cheers, man. Bye. All right, the Highwayman, Cowboy James Storm is taking on Nick Aldis for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in the best two out of three falls uh, this Saturday, December 14th, at the NWA Into the Fire pay-per-view event in Atlanta, Georgia. The NWA National Championship will also be decided in a triple threat match featuring Colt Cabana, Aaron Stevens, and Ricky Starks. And it's the Rock and Roll Express versus the Wild Cards, Thomas Latimer and Royce Isaacs for the NWA Tag Team Championships. The NWA Into the Fire pay-per-view event is sold out live, but you can watch it live on the Fight TV app. Go check that out, and maybe James Storm will become the champion of NWA. All right, coming up Friday, Michael Sweet returns to talk as Jericho, uh, the singer of one of my favorite bands, Striper, has a new solo album out called Ten because it's his tenth solo record. He's got a guest guitarist and vocalist on every song, including Rich Ward. And we're also going to talk about the 33rd anniversary of one of the greatest rock and roll albums of all time, To Hell with the Devil. Michael's going to tell us the whole story behind it, where Striper was at the time, and how that album shot them to the stratosphere and made them rock and roll superstars. Michael Street returns on Friday. Until then, we'll see ya. Stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy, she didn't get it. Yeah, 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 yeah.